You are listening to the Give Me Five Podcast, Episode 1. Welcome to the Give Me Five podcast. I'm Greg. I'm Rob. I'm Jimmy. On the Give Me Five podcast, we're going to discuss entertainment and pop culture. Movies, books, music, video games, comics, whatever five things entertained us this week. This is the first episode, so we're going to do things a little bit differently. Rather than just tell you guys about who we are, which is kind of boring, we're going to discuss the things that are most inspirational to us, like the movies we saw, the music the books we read, things that inspired us to become who we are today. From there, we're going to switch to our regular format, in which we're going to discuss five things total that caught our attention that week. Could be a new movie that came out, could be a theme park that opened, could be a new video game that came out. If it was something worthy of discussing, that's what we're going to do. Heads up, this is a review show, so there will be spoilers. Don't say we didn't warn you. We will introduce each topic before we discuss it. So that gives you the opportunity to skip forward or to stick around and hear what we think. If you do skip forward, don't forget to come back, listen, and let us know what you think. That's right, Jimmy. And if you want to get in touch with us, you can reach us on Twitter at GiveMe5Pod. You can find us on Facebook. Just look for Give Me 5 Podcast. Or if there's anything that you'd like us to discuss or if you'd like to let us know what you thought, you can reach us at GiveMe5Podcast at gmail.com. Well, it's kind of a sad coincidence that one of my favorite pieces of pop culture, media, entertainment, whatever you want to call it, was directed by the great George A. Romero, who sadly passed away um, this week on Sunday, as a matter of fact. Mm. George Romero was a, a visionary director. You know, you could say far ahead of his time. He he is credited with creating the zombies as cannibalistic, mindless you know, creatures who come back from the dead. And, you know, the, the movie had a, had a significant impact on me while night of the living dead wasn't my first introduction to horror, which I'm very passionate about horror movies, um, horror makeup, practical effects. It, it did impact me greatly. Um, if you haven't seen night of the living dead, it came out in 1968 so I'm not sorry uh, for any spoilers, but it, it truly was ahead of its time. It was uh, very shocking at the time, though I wasn't alive then. I can imagine it would be. Uh, the movie made $30 million in the box office, which if I, I think if it came out today, it would make significantly more um, with the influence uh, that zombie culture has had. I mean, what, two, three years ago, you couldn't go anywhere without a story having something to do with zombies. Oh, yeah. But, but that all came from George Romero's Night of the Living Dead. You know, without this film, we wouldn't have The Walking Dead, as Robert Kirkman himself said, uh, the creator of, of The Walking Dead. Yeah, I mean, there are even, there are even uh, cities uh, throughout the country that do, like, zombie walks. I know I've been a part of one. 
Um, you know, people dress up like zombies and walk down the middle of the street. You know, it's great. Yep. We, we have one every year at Spooky Empire, uh, which I'm looking forward to that. But just a, a quick little story. The the first time I saw Night of the Living Dead, um, I was at my house in Chesapeake, Virginia. I, I was by myself. Um, I was living with my parents at the time. And I don't think it was exactly Halloween Day, but it was around then. Because you guys know when they do those uh, movie marathons on sci-fi, it's, you know, Halloween, Night of the Living Dead, scary stuff, right? Um well, Night of the Living Dead was coming on, and it was getting around that point of day where the sun kind of starts to go down. So when the movie started, it was almost in timing with uh, real time, in, in a way. Uh, I, I, it, I just had this feeling of, of terror kind of building, this anticipation building in, in my stomach. And uh, it really freaked me out. And uh, this is a story that I, I'm, I'm not ashamed of, but we were, for some reason or another, though it wasn't Stormy, we were expecting power outages. So I'm watching this movie, I'm like, oh crap. And, and for some reason, I felt the need to uh, go around my house and collect any hand tools that I could find and strap them to my body. <laughs> um <laughs> He was playing in his own version of Rising Dead. <laughs> I I was freaked out, man. There, you know, Night of the Living Dead. It builds the suspense. It there are so many just quiet, uncomfortable moments, and it really creates a sense of dread that I thought something was going to happen. So I I strapped. I'm really lucky that I didn't cut myself. Um, I strapped knives. I strapped screwdrivers to my my belt. Um, I, I had a hockey stick over my shoulders and for some reason I thought, Hey, you know, if I'm the last line of defense, I'm, I'm going to take care of this thing, which, yeah, no, that wasn't going to happen. You uh, would have been a snack. I would have been, I would have been a, a very slow lunch, <laughs> uh, or early dinner for a zombie, but George Romero, he, Injected this social commentary into Night of the Living Dead, Day of the Dead, Dawn of the Dead, which, you know, were all fantastic films. Um, and anytime a, a, a movie, a horror movie especially, can, can give me that sense of dread, that, that overwhelming feeling that something's going to go wrong, it, it really sucks me in. And, you know, for that, I'm, I'm grateful to have seen that. And, you know, I'm grateful to, to George Romero. Well, I think that one of the reasons you were actually able to even see that movie on TV was because when they first made the movie, they screwed up. Is that um, right? They did. They, they referred to the movie as Night of the Flesh Eaters on all the copyright paperwork. So that movie was released and was pretty much released right into um, public domain. Public domain. There we go. Yeah, you can watch the whole movie on YouTube. Um, and actually, this fall, the 4K released will will be shown in theaters. Um, oh, although nice. I think it's only it's uh, like a theater in New York right now. I really hope it it spreads further out. Yeah, if it gets if it gets down here to Florida where we um, are doing our recordings here, I will definitely try to track that down. 
Um, I I'm a, while that movie is not on my specific list, I'm a huge fan, specifically because it was fi- one I like zombies, but it was also filmed in Pittsburgh, which is where I grew up. In fact, my hometown, Monroeville, is where Dawn of the Dead was shot, and they had a mall in there called the Monroeville Mall. So a lot of the scenes that are in Dawn of the Dead are places I had my birthday parties. There's a famous scene with an ice skating rink, and I had my one of my birthday parties at that ice skating rink. So there, there's fountains that zombies are falling into that I used to throw coins into. It's just, I was going to say, were there zombies there when you had your birthday party? That, that would have been, been awesome. awesome. <laughs> Although I was, a bit, I was a huge wuss back then, so I would have been, been terrified. terrified. Yeah. Nice. Five-year-olds and zombies don't really go together very well. In fact, five-year-olds and ice skating didn't go together very well from my recollection. <laughs> Look like a bunch of zombies out there. Pretty much, pretty much. Well, I'll go ahead and lead in with my next one. Um or my first one, one of the, uh, one of the big things for me, um, it's actually been probably my favorite movie since, since I saw it. Um, and it has remained so, um, since it came out in 1987, actually. Um, but my favorite movie of all time is the princess bride. And yeah. And, and I know that you guys are familiar with the movie. Um, but it's never stayed awake through the whole thing. Oh, shut up. (laughs) It's I can recite life. it for you if you need me to. Um, I would definitely fall asleep. <laughs> but Good it's night, Greg. it's it's <laughs> one of those movies that everybody just seems to like. Um, I work I worked at Blockbuster for a while, um, which is which is one of the places that helped me expand my movie knowledge because I had access to so many. But um, whenever somebody was stuck and looking for something, looking for something to watch, they'd seen everything. I would recommend this movie. And in all the years that I worked there, I never had anybody come back and say, oh, that movie was terrible. Why? What? No. It's just one of those movies. It, it may not be everybody's favorite movie like it is mine, but it's one of those movies that everybody seems to love. And it's a romantic comedy. Um, it's set in almost like a medieval era. Um, it's based off of a book by the same name, The Princess Bride, written by William Goldman. Um, and he actually did the screenplay for the movie. So interestingly enough, a lot of the lines in the movie are straight out of the book. Now, the, now I'm not going to say that the movie is identical to the book because that rarely happens. But it's it's enough that once you've read the book and if you see the movie after you've read the book, you're like, man, that line is right out of the book. Um, and I guess that's what you get for having the author of the book actually write the screenplay for the movie. I didn't know so, that. Yeah, William Goldman was the one who wrote the screenplay for the movie. So a lot of the lines are straight out of the book. Um, but it's it's a really cute movie, um, and it's set in probably my favorite time period. I mean, my mother always told me I was born in the wrong century. Um she imagines me in the time of knights and damsels and maidens and dragons and magic and all of that. Um, back when people were ignorant and they... Rob's mother is a time-traveling wizard, by the way. <laughs> she totally is. <laughs> That's amazing. <laughs> but it's 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 a very endearing movie, and it's got a great cast. Um, one of the few movies Andre the Giant was ever in, and he was absolutely fantastic as Fezzik. Um, but it's got uh, Carrie Ellis as the lead role and Robin Wright um, as the lead female role. Um, but it's also got other stars like Billy Crystal, Mandy Patankin, um, Peter Cook, Christopher Guest, Chris Sarandon. I mean, it's it's got Carol Kane. I mean, it's got all kinds of like 
all kinds of um, stars and whatnot, a good bit of star power. Um, and it, it was it to this day, it just remains one of my favorite movies. It's one of the ones I can sit down and watch at any time. Hey, Rob. Yeah. My name is Inigo Montoya. You killed my father. Prepare to die. Prepare to die. Yes. And then, and then he turns around and runs away, and that's that's. <laughs> I'm going to take that and run with the worst segue of all time in talking about death. And I'm going to talk about the movie that I saw the most in theaters of any movie, and the movie that affected me the most. Uh, was the crow? Oh, Brandon so, Lee. Yeah, with Brandon Lee. Um, in case you guys don't know the story of the crow, first of all, it was the very first movie that little high school me saw that was made from a comic book that I was that I had already read. Oh, there I knew we go. That there was there's a. Story. I knew that there was Superman movies and all that other stuff, like very terrible Captain America and Spider Man movies back in the day. But the Crow movie, I had already read the book. I had gone full goth at the time. Not, okay, <laughs> do, you not full any, goth. do you have any pictures of that? I want, I want proof. I want those posted on our Facebook page. Definitely. Those pictures have gleefully not been scanned. Because, yeah, not been scanned. This was see, at a time period a where there were not Greg's digital house cameras. For me and Jimmy in the future. Yeah. An unlawful trip. We'll, we'll take. We'll take care of that for you, Greg. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Go on. So I'd read the book, and as we all will say a lot, there was no internet at the time or very limited internet at the time. So if a movie was coming out and you didn't read about it in Entertainment Weekly or see it on Entertainment Tonight or something like that, you didn't or, know it was coming. Or it wasn't porn. It was not porn. Definitely not porn. Porn, really? <laughs> Well, porn was one of the first things on the internet, dude. That's true. That's true. But anyway, so if you didn't know, if it wasn't a mainstream movie, you really didn't know it was going to come out. And then tragedy struck on the set. For those that you don't know, one of the actors fired a stunt handgun. And in an earlier shot, they had put a bullet that had no gunpowder in it, but had a tip when they for a close-up shot. When they pulled out the bullet, the tip had fallen out, stayed in the gun. The blank was fired, which then launched the projectile out, killing the lead actor, Brandon Lee, who was Bruce Lee's son. I I, I just remembered, as you were saying that, um, being where I was when I heard that news, and it, it was a huge deal. I can remember Kurt Loder coming on MTV with Breaking breaking News. Um and, and breaking that news. Those breaking news things on MTV were always just seemed so dark because every time you heard it, something terrible was going on. And that would be one of them. Kurt, you know, Kurt Cobain. Kurt Cobain. I was just thinking that. And that was back when MTV actually played music. That is true. You're, we're going to say that a lot too. <laughs> yeah, we will. Yeah. So anyway, so I hear about this movie due to tragedy. So it has this dark pallor over it. When I finally get a chance to go see it, not only did they, does it have some of my, my favorite action scenes and quotes, even to this day, but it really opened up my eyes to, you know, the fact that some of this dark stuff can actually be 
you know, beautiful in a way. You can actually like grasp the stuff. It can be poetic. Like you can have poetic action sequences. Um, and it really, it was also the first movie that engulfed me to the point of where like I wanted to leave the theater and listen to the soundtrack. I wanted to read the comic again. So it really pulled me in completely. I was not walking around with a white face and black eye makeup or anything like that. But I, I did have quite a few Crow t-shirts in my collection and uh, definitely showed me a side of movies as art and a thing of beauty rather than just, you know, place for stuff to blow up. Awesome. Well, I certainly enjoyed that too. Um, I don't quite have quite the personal connection that you do, but I will lighten it up a little bit and talk about another film. Uh, just so it happens to be another film that had a huge impact on me uh, when I was younger and that really kind of led me on the path that I am today as far as creating computer graphics. Um, it was probably the the biggest movie at the time to employ, you know, I, I want to say mostly computer graphics. Um, and that was Jurassic Park. Welcome to Jurassic Park. Jurassic Park had such a huge buildup. I'm sure you guys remember, um, you know, hearing about all this stuff that they were doing with robotics and with computer graphics. It was it was really just it was the biggest of its time. Uh, I know I said that before, but it was huge. Um, it was the film that launched sales of the Ford Explorer um, into the stratosphere. As it I was did not know that part. Oh, yeah. The Ford Explorer was the vehicle that they rode in on the tour, and sales for the Explorer were huge after that. Nice. There um, are um, eventually dinosaurs on this tour, though, right? No. <laughs> Not that I recall. Um, the movie, it starred um, some kids, uh, the bad guy from Event Horizon, um, which barely missed my list, and The Fly was in it, and it also starred a bunch of dinosaurs. Which were, at the time, and it still holds up pretty well. I saw it in the theater a few years ago in 3D. Um, the dinosaurs, you know, from the drawings and everything that we, we'd seen, you know, in textbooks and everything, were so lifelike and they were so scary. Um, I saw the movie with my family in California on a trip to visit uh, my uncle. And uh, my mom kept covering my eyes during the spitter scene with Newman <laughs> Yeah, um, she she did. <laughs> rest, in, rest in peace, Wayne Knight. Um, she had her her hands over my eyes, but she wasn't doing a very good job. So I, I didn't fight it because I could see through her fingers. And it just that reaction just made me you know want to watch it and and just focus on it so much more. Um, after the movie, we got back to my uncle's house, and I I had always been in art classes. I had already always drawn. And my my uncle had some company over, and I'm sitting there on the floor and sketching out a Velociraptor. And uh, this guy, uh, my my uncle's friend, just total the dude from the Big Lebowski. 
just <laughs> I mean, the long hair, the beard. I mean, I'm pretty sure the guy was wearing sunglasses indoors at like nine o'clock at night. Um, and he just comes over and he goes, hey, man, you know, they're doing that with computers now. And like that was just this explosive moment in my life. Like my mind from that point forward, I decided that I was going to do um, creature graphics. Now, while I still work in computer graphics, I, it 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 really led me down that path. Makes oh, sense. and uh, days after that, my grandmother, uh, God rest her soul, got a copy of Michael Crichton's Jurassic Park and was reading it to my myself and my cousin. Yeah, nice. <laughs> If if you guys have read the book, it's uh, pretty dark. Good grandmothering. <laughs> I think she stopped after the whole uh, babies getting taken by dinosaurs thing. It was like pterodactyls or something, wasn't it? Or was uh, it? yeah, I think so. Yeah. They blamed it on SIDS. Anyway, <laughs> well, um, I'll tie in with one of the things, and I, I can't say that it actually shaped my sense of humor, but my appreciation for it probably was a result of my sense of humor. But I. As a result, I mean, I really kind of love like the the B horror movie. You know what I'm talking about, guys? Oh yeah. Um. So my next one is going to be a movie as well, but it's it's a classic with uh, Bruce Campbell as Ash in the Evil Dead Two. Bruce, don't call me Ash Campbell. <laughs> exactly. Um. But the movie was. And, and I'm not even sure how to describe it. I mean, I remember being at my friend's house. We were having a sleepover, and it was late at night. We caught Showtime, and it was this movie, The Evil Dead 2. And we're like, what is this? And we're, you know, we flip past it. And it's the scene, I, spoiler alert if you haven't seen it, <laughs> but it's the scene where. If you haven't, shame on you. Exactly. Where they throw Stop the guy. Listening right now. In the cellar. Go watch, the Evil Dead go watch it and come back, and then we'll talk. But they throw the guy in the cellar, and the the demon or whatever it is comes up out of the dirt and says, I smell fresh meat, and starts like crawling towards him, and he's banging on the cellar door. Let me out, let me out, let me out. And it's one of those trapdoor cellars. So it's, a, it's a basically a, a door that's in the floor. It lifts up and folds back down. And he's freaking out. There's something down here. There's something down here. Well, finally, they, they, they're like, I don't think he's kidding. I don't think he's kidding. Let's let him out. So they let him out. And the thing jumps. It's a it's a cheap scare, but it pops its head up, and they're like, "Oh my god!" And they slam the door on its head. Oh man, yes, I know what you're but, talking about. <laughs> but the um, it it didn't knock it back down into the cellar. Instead, its head got caught between the floor and the door, and they're trying to close the door, and he's jumping up and down on the door trying to make the door close. And it's at that point that one of its eyeballs just pops out, shoots across the room. And some girl swallows it. <laughs> and it was, it was. I assure so, you, it is as ridiculous as it sounds, and it's it, fantastic. It was so ridiculous and so wonderful. My friend and I laughed our butts off. We thought it was hilarious. I mean, we're just a we're just a couple of like young kids. I mean, we're probably like ten, eleven, something at this point. That explains and, so much about <laughs> knowing you now. It totally does, doesn't it? But it's – I mean it, it just just from start to finish, I mean the whole movie is full of great cheesy lines, really terrible special effects, and they don't really care. 
they know it's terrible and that's what they're going for and i i love it i mean and as a result i mean i've i've loved b horror movies like for most of my life i mean <laughs> it's just and if, if you if you check that one out and like it i definitely recommend army of the dead or army of, army darkness. of darkness yeah army of darkness. yes have you had a chance to see evil dead the tv show I have not. I actually just put that on my list to watch tonight. I came across it. Uh, Ash versus the Evil Dead. Is that the one you're talking uh, about? Yes. Ash versus the Evil Dead. Yes. Um, so ashamed to say that I haven't seen it. It finished season two a few months back. Um, mm-hmm. I love it. In fact, it's so in the same vein as the other Evil Deads. It's, you know, it could easily be a sequel that was filmed a few years later. Yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to it. I, I, I'm really excited to watch it because I just, I I just put it on They don't make the mistake of trying to explain it in a way that just like the things continue happening. They don't really try to to like, make it more realistic. It's my, like, uh, this is what's happening. This is what people think is. is happening. Yeah. One, one of my favorite parts from Evil Dead 2, which is actually a remake of Evil Dead, which – it's a whole another story altogether. Um, but I don't know if you guys have ever noticed this, and it took me years to notice it. But and spoiler alert: when Ash's hand becomes possessed mm-hmm. and he cuts it off, when he goes and places the bucket over the hand and he puts books down on top of it, do you know what the book on the very top was called? I do not. What is it? A farewell to arms. <laughs> And see, that's the crap I love. Yeah, go <laughs> go look hilarious. it up again, man. It's it's I I when I finally noticed that I lost it. I I just appreciate that movie so much and the humor. It's it's amazing. Somewhere out there, one of you guys is going to win a trivia contest at a bar because of that little fact right there. <laughs> I sure that hope little so. nugget. Yep, It'd be the crowning achievement of my life. I'm gonna make it a little more serious now. Just talking again about what got us into our careers, and I didn't even realize it at the time. But Terminator 2, uh, when it came out, blew my mind. Oh, it was amazing. It was so far yeah. beyond anything else that it, that we had seen yeah. up to that point. So I'll, I'll tell a few stories here real, as quick as I possibly can. When I was a kid, I was the youngest kid in my neighborhood. And all the older kids, this is in Pittsburgh, all the older kids were able to see Terminator. I was not. So what we ended up doing instead of playing tag or hide and go seek we played terminator in the neighborhood and we all had dart nerf guns we had to try to convince the terminator who was unstoppable to go into the garage at which point we would close the garage door and crush him i had no idea what that meant i had absolutely no idea what that meant they explained it to me a little bit but i had not seen the movie so we we played this and i it didn't have a chance to see the movie it wasn't really on hbo or anything like that so Terminator 2 is coming out, and I had moved to Florida at this point, and my dad gets called for a kidney transplant. Told you it was going to get a little serious, but not too bad. So I just moved to Florida. This movie's coming out, and all of a sudden my dad is gone. And my one of my new friends, his dad had rented a boat, and we were on the intercoastal. And they played this song from Guns N' Roses from this movie. And I remember very distinctly that they were that 
the guy, my friend's dad, stayed in the intercoastal rather than going out in the ocean so that we could still hear the radio station so we could hear the song. And the song comes on, drums, everything. And I'm like, this is awesome. And then they said, this is from a new movie coming out, Terminator 2. Have to see this movie. It was so far ahead of its time, like you guys said, that there was featurettes on TV, like, all the time. How did they do the liquid metal? How did they do mm-hmm. the missing arms? All this yeah, stuff. I remember that. And when this movie came out, I just saw it again and again and again. It was yet another movie where it was a perfect blend of soundtrack and special effects and action and a very cool story and... I just fell in love with it, and I fell in love with special effects. I didn't even think about it, but it was from that point on that I, every time I saw a movie, I would buy the DVD or Blu-ray in order to get the special effects breakdowns. Yep. And as an, a 3D artist now that does do some compositing work and some special effects work, like it took me a little while, you know, people asking, well, how did you get into it, to realize I would not have gotten into it if it wasn't for me falling in love with that movie. Yeah, I, I can say without a doubt that it was Jurassic Park for me. I mean, hands down. But Judgment Day, you know, um, I I was younger, so I didn't get to see it as well. But my brother, who's, uh, who was five years older than me, he saw it. And, you know, he had such a big musical influence on me that I can remember hearing that soundtrack. And uh, I know exactly which song you're talking about. It, it was phenomenal. It was a perfect blend of explosions and just when I finally saw it, man, it really blew my mind too. Excellent, Greg. Well, that brings me to another one of my favorite movies, and that's An American Werewolf in London. Oh, uh, classic! It came out in 1981. You know, I I didn't see it until several years after that. I I was maybe around eight to ten years old. Um, Seeing it in an, its entirety wasn't my first experience with it. I uh, actually I was at a friend's house where my dad was watching it on TV, and I just so happened to to cross the path of the TV during the transformation scene, oh, which is where uh, <laughs> David traumatizing. Yeah, it, it was in a good way. So far, I feel that Jimmy's trauma has led to all of the stuff he enjoys. Whereas most people, if they have that kind of trauma, they uh, you know have hacked up bits of drifter in their garage freezers. You you're absolutely right. And and we Wait, can... which one? Which part? <laughs> <laughs> the first part of that. Stay stay out of Jimmy's garage. But fair anyway, enough. Uh David who's who's the one who transforms into a werewolf, he survives an attack uh where him and his friend Jack are walking through, they're backpacking through uh the UK and uh they come across this pub called the Slaughtered Lamb where you know these these people are hiding this dark secret and that's the secret of the werewolf um jack dies in that attack but he continues to visit david in these various states of decay and i mean i i watch it now and the parts where jack is kind of freshly dead and he comes back and he's talking to david he's he's just making all these really dark wisecracks and um he's telling david the only way to break the curse of the werewolf is to uh uh, you need to die so he keeps saying you know well hey david you need to kill yourself otherwise you know this is going to keep happening so jack as david 
you know, refuses to accept this fact that he's out killing people. He's a werewolf. He's waking up naked in a zoo. Um, Who hasn't done that? <laughs> guilty. Um, just, but, just not this week. It was last week. But. Yeah. Jack continues to come back and visit him, and, and Jack is still decaying because he's, he's in limbo, and he's, he's bringing the, his, uh, uh, David's dead victims. And they're all trying to convince him that you need to end this. And the only way to do that is to take your life. So it's got this really just dark, you know, theme to it. Um, there are actually two songs that are used in the movie um, that I, I absolutely love. Uh, Blue Moon by the Marcells and Bad Moon Rising by Creedence Clearwater Revival. Yes. Yes. I, I, uh, I, I hear those uh, and it just puts me right back into the mindset of watching that movie in its entirety for the first time. And I'm, I'm really, you know, just to end on this note, uh, John Landis was the director. Um, his son, Max Landis has been tied, um, recently to a remake of an American werewolf. And I guess, yeah, I guess if anybody's going to do it, you know, it's going to be the director's son. So Uh hopefully, uh, being that universal, (laughs) Rockily kind of launched their dark universe. I really hope to see the American Werewolf remake to be part of that, and hopefully, it's and, better than the Mummy. And and I gotta say, I I don't think that Universal is really gonna shy away from it, um, simply because they have kind of held on to it. It it has been a recurring house at um, Halloween Horror Nights, which um, we go to every year. We love it. It's it's a lot of fun. But we will be discussing Halloween Horror Nights when October actually probably even the end of September rolls around. Oh yeah, yeah. Well, it starts mid September this year. I sold my soul. Um, so mid September, keep your eyes peeled. There will be some sort of preview. For oh, Halloween Horror Nights. Halloween Horror Nights. But they've, they've done um, – it's been a recurring house. It's been at more than one Halloween Horror Nights in the last several years. Um, and I and I, I have to admit I've actually just recently seen the movie within the last couple of years. Um, Greg had me watch it uh, because of because of the houses that were coming out because I hadn't actually seen it yet. Um, and I do have to say the, this, the special effects have stood up fairly well. I mean for being filmed in the early 80s. I agree. Um, special effects. The special effects have stood up fairly well. Um, there's a couple of scenes where you're like, oh, that's a dude in a suit or, oh, that's a puppet. You can tell. But for the most part, um, like the for me, the three iconic scenes from that movie are all during the transformation. Um, the first one is – the first one is where his face is elongating into the snout. Oh, yeah. You know yeah. that scene? Um, the other one is when you're looking at the back of his hand and his fingers are lengthening and the nails are growing. Yeah, that's That hurts. Every time I see it. Yes. Yep. Yes. And then the, the third one that I think of when I think of that movie is actually was actually a room in the house that Universal that Universal used at Halloween Horror Nights. And it's the one where he's laying on the floor, you know, his limbs are all elongated, he's starting to get hairy and he's going, Help me, help me You know that scene? Oh yeah. Yeah. I believe there was uh is that the one where they referenced a Mickey Mouse phone or a Mickey Mouse clock? I believe there was a there was a Mickey Mouse, I think a bobblehead on a table, and they actually put that into the haunted house as well. In the haunted house, yep. Interesting. So, so they do still have a love for it, and I w- I wouldn't be surprised to see if they actually push that through. Fingers crossed. We'll see. I'm going to change direction here. Okay. I'm going to jump from movies to, to music. All right. And I am a very big Pearl Jam fan. No, and really? I am one of those. 
crazy, crazy people that follows them around. You'll hear me talk about their concerts. You'll hear me talk about them. A groupie, you might say. A groupie. Unabashed. That I have not had the opportunity to make sweet, sweet love to any member of the band. <laughs> not Yet. that you haven't tried. <laughs> Yet. Well, it's really hard to do it with that 100-foot restraining order. So. Well, yeah. But anyway, back to, to reality here. Um, I was watching Headbangers Ball one night. I think it was probably 1991. And they announced this band called Pearl Jam. This is a new video, et cetera, et cetera. I watched it. It just sounded different than every single other thing I'd been hearing that night. I was a big metalhead at the time. This thing sounded completely different. I remember Headbangers Ball. With and then Ricky I, Rackman. Uh, oh, yeah, Ricky Rackman. I do not. Yes. That was not my music at the time. Still is not your music. Uh, it's okay. I mean, I, I listen to it. I don't have a problem with it. But at, at that point in my life, I was R&B. I want to see a picture of Rob wearing uh, cross colors jeans or or maybe a backwards set of suspenders. I did have the suspenders, but I didn't wear them backwards. That was crisscross. Uh, I know. Okay. So anyway, <laughs> watching watching uh, this thing. The next day, I had to go to I believe it was Walmart of all places with my family before I went to work, and I saw this album sitting there. It was still in the cardboard thing that CDs used to come in. Heck, CDs used to be sold at stores. And I picked this What's thing up. A CD? Exactly. <laughs> I believe it's a compact disc. And I came home and I put it in this in the CD player. And I remember I was sitting with my back to my like on the side of my bed with my feet kind of on my stereo, listening to this album. And I was completely lost in the music for you know, like first time I ever heard it, the whole album straight through, completely lost in the music. It. I eventually came to my senses and realized I had actually I had actually listened through my first hour of work. Like I didn't I didn't get up, I didn't move. I was like I'm late. Oh, wow. When you're 14, 15 years old and you're late for work, you're like, "Oh crap, I'm dead." Rush down there. And they're like, there. "Oh, what do you mean you weren't here?" <laughs> Rush down there was I was working at Publix, which is a grocery store for those of you that are not in Florida or the South. And I got there and my boss is like, why aren't you wearing your work uniform? I was so like entranced. I just <laughs> ran oh, out. Man. So this, this album really affected me. Now there was a few other little things. And again, I'm going story time here. Um, around this time, I had mentioned that my father went for a kidney transplant. That one didn't work. So he went for another one and we drove to Tampa in order to get him tested to see what blood type and all this stuff. If you've never dealt with kidney transplants, they do a ton of tests. So here I am sitting in a – it was a stripped-out doctor's room, and I could hear the doctor talking to my dad about, like, his chances of survival and all this stuff as the song Alive was playing, which is – has a positive meaning now, but if you kind of listen to the lyrics, it was not such a positive meaning. It was about a problem that the lead singer of Pearl Jam had with his father, something I didn't actually understand since I had a good relationship. That was, like, kind of the second step of this whole thing. And then as it grew on me, you know, every song started picking up different parts of my life. You know, various high school breakups had the song Black, which is like still to me the best breakup song of all time. Um, and I've even the my least favorite song on the album was the song Garden. And I remember getting off of a we, we went to the Miami Seaquarium and I got off the bus. And I remember 
walking up the street and watching the wind like blow the grass kind of back and forth as that song came on. And it was like every single part of this album had like a music video almost as part of my life. So it was, so it became really important to me. Wow. Nice. Um, it's a pretty yeah, powerful so like, connections. Yeah. And it was, so it's very rare that that happens because I'm not really one of those symbolism type people, but that album specifically spoke to me, even though I definitely grew up in a different world as any of the members of Pearl Jam. Um, this is one other little thing. The very last song, we, my family eventually we went on a vacation to a place called Marco Island. And I was, it was the very first time I ever got to go on a vacation with a girl. <gasps> 15 years old or some, maybe 14 or 15 years old. And and just we, a big ball of hormones. I, I was. Two things happened on that trip. Nothing remotely awesome. Like <laughs> involving, and nothing remotely awesome involving um, hormones, but one, got to hang out with a girl in a bikini for the first time. I know. <gasps> Scandal. Two, I actually got to meet Buster Douglas while he was the heavyweight champion of the world because he was vacationing there. Still battered and bruised for like the two weeks that he was holding the title. He just happened oh, wow. to be at the, the lobby when he was there. But Side note, that was, was one of my favorite games on Sega Genesis. <laughs> Buster Douglas. Was it one of the TKO most inspirational games? You could hit people with your elbows. Nice. So that was inspirational to you. Yes. Anyway, so I, I walk into the bar at the hotel, which is, you know, it was actually kind of a seedy, smoky bar because there weren't like restrictions back then. I was going to say, I weren't you 15? I heard this song playing and I'm like, I know this. I'm like, what? What is this? And it turned out it was the very last track on the album 10 a song called Release. And that pretty much sealed it. It was just like this. It was the perfect <laughs> song for this one moment okay, of Beavis. my life. <laughs> Sorry, Greg. Is that Beavis to me or to Rob? I believe that was to Rob. That, to was, Rob. that was me giggling at the name of the song after Beavis. talking about you being a big ball of hormones. That's okay. So I walk in, I hear the song, and I'm like, that's it. This album, this band, that's it. And, you know, that was... 20 something years ago, 28, 29, almost 30 years ago. And so, you've seen them 24 times since then? 24, possibly 25. I don't know if I should count the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame performance. It was just three songs, four songs. But, I count that. Yeah. Or the time that you stalked them into the bathroom. That has not yet happened. <laughs> I admittedly would freak out if I ever had the, the chance to meet them because, one, I know that they have a big privacy thing, so that's not anything I've ever really wanted to do. Mm -hmm. to like let them do their thing and I'll enjoy it. I'm going to enjoy it and without ruining anything with preconceived conversations or whatnot. Anyway, that was my deepness about Pearl Jam 10. I promise you guys, I'm going to get goofier later. There will be so many more jokes about Rob's mom. Absolutely <laughs> promise. Looking forward to it. Well, I'll I'll move on to a one that has absolutely nothing to do with my mom. Are we supposed to be talking about American Psycho right now? Because I think never mind. <laughs> We're probably one of the first generations that grew up with um, video games being available in the home from from like our childhood on. Because um, I remember having I True. remember having an Atari twenty six hundred. Um, I remember having a Nintendo, I mean, I think between my brother and I, we had like all of the Sega and Nintendo systems, 
But um, there was one game that really stood out when I was a kid, and I got hooked on um, Leisure final... Suit Larry. Exactly. No, I got hooked on the Final Fantasy series, and and as as I continue to go on, you'll see that the um, the whole uh, sci-fi and fantasy genre is really big with me. Um, like with the Princess Bride, and and um, my video game choices, and a lot of the stuff that I like to do. But um, the final, the first Final Fantasy game was fantastic, but the one that really did it for me was Final Fantasy II. Now it was called Final Fantasy II in the states, but we actually skipped. Um, Final Fantasy 2 II and 3. So it was actually Final Fantasy 4, but it was released here for the Super Nintendo as Final Fantasy 2. Um, and I remember playing through that. I, I must have played through that like three or four or five times. Um, I even did a playthrough um, occasionally when I would go over to a friend's for a sleepover. He and I were really big Final Fantasy fans also, and we'd play through it. And we'd keep one game saved for the game that we were playing through together. Um but it was it was it was one of the first games that i remember just having an excellent excellent storyline to it there was so much gameplay involved i mean i think at the time um it had like over 20 hours of gameplay and at that time you know in a time when games was pretty much they just got harder until you lost um or you know you played through like eight stages and that was it yeah um, maybe a couple hours yeah, yeah. So this was really one of the first um, games that I encountered where they had like a really intricate storyline. They laid it all out, and it and you actually had like twenty plus hours of gameplay. Um, and I just remember falling in love with the series after that. I mean, I've played just about all the Final Fantasies since then. I haven't really loved all of them, and in fact, my my love for Final Fantasy has kind of waned a little bit since they've added in the whole. Um, the whole mechanical aspects of it, the whole technology aspects of it. I liked it much more when it was just strictly fantasy. Um, but I, it's, it's one of the things that really catapulted me into the, um, into the video games and, and doing the RPGs and a lot of the other stuff. And like I said, it, it was right up my alley with the, with the whole fantasy genre. Um, and I'll talk some more about that later, but, do you guys remember playing that at all? I I do. Um, I played, I played that later when emulators and ROMs became ah, available. Yeah. I I fancied myself a bit of a hacker back in my day, which <laughs> that only meant downloading ROMs, and I thought I was like, <laughs> I thought I was like making me call him Neo. Was I was really about weird. to say I. I thought I was like Neo from the Matrix because I was playing Nintendo games on my computer. But I, I can remember starting and stopping that so many times, and it's kind of funny now being intimidated by the fact that there were like 20 hours of gameplay, it, you know, being so used to you could sit down in, in a couple hours and beat a game, you know, a Contra. Yeah, or, play through it in like an afternoon. Yeah, even a Super Mario 3. I mean, if you knew if you knew how to do it, you could get through that in like 20 minutes. Yeah, I remember it from the map and the poster and the breakdown at Nintendo Power Magazine. Oh, yeah, nice. I never actually played it. I remember Nintendo Power Magazine. <laughs> I used to have a subscription. Oh, the posters. As did I. I did not, but I wanted one. But yeah, I, I could, I mean, graphically at the time, it was it was really good. Um, and I, I really enjoyed, you know, the couple of hours that I played through it. But now it's funny because... You get games now, and if it's too short, it sucks. 
Yeah, exactly. You know, I think I think Final Fantasy that that series really kind of pushed the long gameplay, and uh, that's kind of now that's what you expect from games. Yeah. Well, unfortunately, I I think a lot of the um a lot of the gaming industry has kind of turned away from the story driven games and gone more towards um like the first person shooter which is which is unfortunate cuz I can't really play those games. Um I'm one of the I'm one of the few people who the the view of the first person shooter actually gives me a headache and makes me nauseous and I can't continue to play. So um, well, I, I don't and, like playing against other people and I think a lot of the the games these days are all you know, you can go online and play against other people. Yeah, and yeah, I, I have ideas. enough of you know people making fun of me, and and you know I have enough fourteen year olds making fun of me in person that I don't really need it in uh, video well, and they, world. They all know our mothers too, which is the yeah, that, yeah, it's weird. Thing. Like every every single fourteen year old in America at one point with my mother last night apparently. Yeah. Now, Rob, uh, well, she's a time traveling wizard, Rob. So well, that's <laughs> true. It is possible. Rob, have you looked at the? A free-to-play game that they released for mobile for Final Fantasy. The are you talking about Final Fantasy Record Keeper? Um, I believe it's Final Fantasy Fifteen. It is Final, uh, no Final Fantasy Fifteen we, is was a game that was actually released for the PS4. Well, I think it's like a spinoff of that. It was re, like re, released within the past week. I may be wrong, but. Hmm. I'll have to look into that. I have been playing Final Fantasy Record Keeper, which is um, basically a turn-based game where they combine all of the all of the worlds or all of the all of the games from Final Fantasy, all of the characters and everything, and you can choose your team from like all of the characters from all of the Final Fantasies. It's actually went to the research department and Final Fantasy Fifteen: A New Empire. Hmm. Okay, I'll have to look so into that. Check it out. Such a small podcast we have quite the established research department There's, we put those people to work yeah absolutely it's like a, a newsroom in 1920 down there it's fantastic this just in from the give me five newsroom <laughs> final fantasy someone, has released a new game there's always someone sweatily running in screaming stop the press stop the podcast waving the piece of paper <laughs> in the air yeah you guys are getting quality when you get the Give Me Five podcast. Without quality, me. such as the next album by Mr. Oh, Jimmy. Some people will totally disagree with me because it it's not their most celebrated album. And when I say The Misfits, I'm doing air quotes when I say The Misfits because I still consider The Misfits to be, uh, you know, Glenn Danzig, Doyle, even though he joined the band later, Jerry only. Um, yeah, it the Misfits had disbanded in the um, late eighties. Uh, Jerry only and Glenn Danzig had this, you know, big falling out. Um, Glenn Danzig went on to form Samhain, and then eventually, you know, achieved success with. Danzig, but in was it 1997? Uh, Jerry only and Glenn Danzig settled, and while Danzig was still able to go on and perform, um, Jerry only was able to release music under the Misfits' name. Um, 
the album that was released in 1997 was American Psycho. They had a new singer, um, a new drummer. So Dr. Chud was the drummer, and the singer was Michael Graves, who I think is a very, very underrated frontman. And I thought he really injected new li- new life into the Misfits. Although it wasn't the first time I had heard the Misfits, that was actually on a skate video called uh, "Welcome to Hell," that in that has the greatest slam section ever. If you get a chance, YouTube it, type in "Welcome to Hell" slam section, and hopefully you're not too squeamish. But my mom would never let me get. She she never let me buy Misfits albums. You know, we used to go to um, Mother's Music in Greenbrier Mall in Chesapeake, There's Virginia. a lot of conversations about moms and mothers, and <laughs> both well, in names of album stores and yeah. names of... Uh, well, oh... A very family-friendly podcast where we yeah. talk about corpses in the garages of one of the people's house. So one of the reasons my mom wouldn't let me buy any of the collection albums... Um, was because of the song Mommy Can I Go Out and Kill Tonight. <laughs> Just to bring it full circle if you want. But for me, you know, the Misfits have always um oh so anyway, we I, I went out with my friend David and his parents. We went out to a, a place called Planet Music in Virginia Beach, which was this huge music store. She just don't see those anymore. And I convinced my friend's mom that it was okay. My mom said it was fine if I got this Misfits album. That came with this awesome poster, the Crimson Ghost, and oh, Lord. Uh, <laughs> I, I had to hide that for a few years. But you know what the the logo of the Misfits looks like, right, Rob? Then um, you're not into that kind of music. I, You've seen I, it before. I do not, and I'm realizing that we listened to entirely different types of music. When we You've probably here. seen this like ghostly face on a lot of TV. Uh, t-shirts oh it's, you, you can buy it's t-shirts that one of those things that's now sold yeah, at Hot I'm, Topic I'm, and I'm sure Kohl's. I'm sure I've seen it I and, and I'm picturing a t-shirt that says the Misfits and that's probably the one that you're speaking of yeah kind of like a Grim Reaper looking face yeah I've, I've seen the I've seen the t-shirt yes but buying that album was such a rebellious thing for me and it it had it's you know they say the Misfits are horror punk and it really kind of tied in the the horror genre and you know the musical genre of punk, which I'm you know a big fan of both. And it just really brought it together. And I, I have this, you know, the Misfits are a, a big influence on me. Um, even though I saw them much later after they had parted ways with Michael Graves, and it was just Jerry only. Um, I actually, it, it's kind of a feather in my cap that I got banned from their Facebook page. Um, <laughs> Because I said they were the most boring band I've ever seen live, but I mean that's what happens when you prop a you prop a couple of you know super old dudes up there playing punk, uh, dressing up like gothic teenagers. But I still love them. I still celebrate their collection. Not so much their newer stuff after Michael Graves, but definitely, weirdly, one of my favorite albums. Fantastic. Um, well, I'll jump in with one of the other things that. Um that has really uh, piqued my interest throughout the years. Awesome. Um, I am a big fan of like Renaissance festivals. <laughs> that too. But um, Brazilian fart pornography specifically. Specifically. Yes. And that is a real thing. Look it up. It's ridiculous. We are lowering the bar here on the Give Me Five podcast. We, 
we totally are. But um, it was on both of our lists, so we have to talk about it. <laughs> but I, I have I have always enjoyed um, Renaissance festivals ever since the first one that I discovered um, back when I was a teenager. Um, and I actually I actually still every day wear the necklace that I bought at the Renaissance festival when I was like 15, 16. Oh um, wow! And and Greg can attest to that. I'm sure Jimmy's seen it as as well. It's the only necklace I wear, and I always wear it. I've seen it, but I didn't know. Yeah, I bought it when I was I bought it at my first Renaissance Festival when I was like 15, 16. And for those who for those who can't see it, it's a it's a Celtic peace knot. Um, but I I've always loved um, and and again it's probably my fascination with the time period. Um, and there's so many things that I've discovered from my personality that that um, I think relate back to my fascination with the time period, um, such as my love for redheads. Um, Greg can attest. <laughs> Greg can attest to the fact that I absolutely adore redheads. But um, and, I didn't and, even go see the movie Brave with him because I was scared about what he might do. Exactly, exactly. But it, and it took me a while to figure it out. But and and. Um, but I was thinking about it one day, and I realized as I was looking at this poster that I had, um, I had a poster that was a um, Renaissance-style poster. It had a knight and a maiden on it, and the 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 knight was basically saying goodbye to the maiden, and she was giving him a favor, basically tying her scarf around his uh, around his arm. And I was like, huh, that's weird. And I looked over at another one that I had. Yeah, I had more than one. Um, and I realized that and it struck me at that moment that pretty much every picture that I've ever seen involving that time period, what color is the girl's hair? It is I'm going to go ahead and guess red. It is, it is almost always red or like a strawberry blonde. Interesting. Um, and, and I don't know if that's like some kind of a subliminal thing for me that, that that's why I like redheads, but it's, it's one of the things that, that struck me as odd one day. Um, but back to the Renaissance festivals, I, I love going to these. Um, yes, I am one of those freaks who dresses up. Um, I have actually made some of my own costumes for it. I, I believe when you brought me to one, at one point, I had to stand around and try to think of something to do or look at while you were talking to somebody about a handmade leather falconry glove. <laughs> that is, that for way is longer. entirely possible. Yeah, you were talking about this handmade leather falconry glove for a very long time. And mm-hmm. one, I didn't even know what a falconry glove – like I got – I figured out what it was, but I didn't know that it was still a thing. Yes. Well, it was a, you, definitely an educational you falconry, experience. you have to have a falconry glove. I mean, come on. Well, Ghostface Killer of the Wu-Tang Clan used to wear a gold one. Oh, there you go. Well, that that makes it legit. It, totally. But there's there's so many things that you can do at a Renaissance festival. There's a, there's one. There's a lot of shopping to do. Um, and if you like any kind of like leather goods, that's a place to go. Like to falconry find. gloves, for example. Falconry gloves, absolutely. But I I will admit I do have a couple of leather outfits. But there's a lot of shopping to do. There's a lot of um, entertaining shows that you can see. Um, a lot of the shows are comedy based. Um, and and they're really entertaining. And you'll find a lot of the same performers at a lot of at a lot of the same shows. Uh, or not the same shows, but at a lot of at different shows throughout the country, and 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 I'll get into that in just a second. Um, but it's also very very informative because you can go there, and a lot of the people there are really knowledgeable about things that happened during the Renaissance or in medieval in the medieval time period, and and there's so much to learn, and and oh, and the swords, I love swords, 
And all of my friends know that if there's ever a zombie apocalypse, they're coming to my house because I have quite a collection. Absolutely. Absolutely. I don't run out of ammo because I don't need it. Um, (laughs) I'm I'm coming coming to your place after I hit uh, Bob's gun shop. Exactly. (laughs) Exactly. Um, But I... I enjoy Renaissance Festival so much. Um, I did I did a lot of traveling um, after I got into the profession that I'm in now. I'm a nurse, um, for those who don't know, and don't ask me how I got into that. My mom swears my mom swears she thought I was going to be in theater. Um, she thought I was going to go into like drama and movies and stuff like that. But um, when I after I got into nursing, I started working as a travel nurse. So that basically I would fill temporary positions at hospitals throughout the country. And I did that for about seven years. And one of the ways that I was picking the assignments that I went to was based upon when and where they had large Renaissance festivals. Oh, that's so cool. So I've actually been to Renaissance festivals in like five different states. Which is usually the line he leads with when he talks to girls at bars. Uh, totally, totally. And it totally impresses him. But <laughs> I've been to the largest to one of the largest Renaissance festivals. I've been to some decent sized Renaissance festivals. I've been to some little crappy Renaissance festivals. And I'll tell you right up front, if the Renaissance festival is only there for a weekend, chances are it's not going to be all that good. If it's one of the Renaissance festivals that sets up shop for like a month at a time, it's probably going to be a decent sized Renaissance festival and there'll probably be a lot of stuff for you to do there. And it's great for the kids. It's great for the family. You can go out, you can spend most of the day there depending upon the size of the Renaissance festival. There's a lot of people watching you can do at a Renaissance festival as well. Rob, you've completely nerded this place up. I'm going to try to bring us back to non-nerddom right here. I'm going to talk about two of my favorite things together. Shopping for school supplies and comic books. (laughs) And I'm the nerd? All right. Go ahead. By by school supplies, he means pocket protectors. Exactly. Exactly. So in a previous life, I was, in fact, a A stripper. No, I'm still a nerd. Fact-checking right now. That's not true. (laughs) Which part? And by being a stripper, I mean I was a comic stripper. I used to draw comic strips for my high school newspaper many years ago. He went under the name name Vanilla Latte. It's and totally I can attest that to that. Totally his, what I would go under. His comic strips were in the school newspaper. We were in the same high school. But the reason I got started with that, I always liked drawing, but I never really gotten into comics. And started high school, and I went to the local Walmart, again, same one that I bought the Pearl Jam album at, and was buying my supplies. And hanging on one of the racks was issue one, two, and three of the X-Men 1991 series by Jim Lee and Chris Claremont. And I saw number one, and I had heard that these things are going to be worth money someday. So I grabbed it, and I was like, I'm going to spend a little bit of my awesome school supply money. So one less Trapper Keeper, but three more comics. (laughs) One less neon pocket protector. Mm -hmm. No, I wouldn't. That that was a hard decision there. I would have to go with the neon pocket protector because over the trapper keeper, definitely over the, over the trapper keeper. Yeah. So, brought these things home, and I sat down to read it, and I was partially into issue one, and there was a training scene. I knew the X Men from the, I believe, from the cartoon, a little bit from the video game, which was which I loved in the arcades. Oh, the four player arcade game. 
Yes, absolutely loved it. Amazing. Yeah. For some reason, the sound effects of like Colossus and Wolverine like powering up and doing their special moves you could hear through any other din of the arcade, through any other sound effect in the arcade. I'm sorry, do they even still sell Trapper Keepers? <laughs> Good get we, Are we really going to focus on the Trapper Keeper portion of this? <laughs> go ahead, go ahead, go ahead. If not, they should. That's all I'm saying. Anyway, got to one sequence of the X-Men, and it started off with like a training sequence, and there was a action-packed scene drawn perfectly by Jim Lee, where Wolverine basically puts his hand up through Professor X's yellow floating wheelchair thing. And this was before I knew much about comics, before every, I knew every comic had that the heroes have to fight each other before they can fight the bad guys thing before i realized that there was kind of in between good and bad there was kind of ambiguously good and from that point on just the energy of those books i read all three of them that first night and those three comics eventually cost me a lot of money because it became a 20 to 30 dollar a week comic book habit for up until my first child was born when I decided that I have enough. I'll just there reread the ones I have. you need to spend your money on. <laughs> yeah, apparently children need to eat, which is sort what? of expensive. And then after the non-eating, they do this thing called pooping, which leads to diapers, which is also kind of expensive. Oh, I, I so. do remember the day that you told me that you had to cancel all of your subscriptions. It was not necessarily sad. It was kind of it was a bit of an end of an era to me, and they've done so many relaunches recently that it it's not really the same. There was something about the X Men with Chris Claremont is he had written it for so long. Uh, he wrote it. I even have it written down here. He wrote it since like the seventies, all the way up through nineteen ninety one, and he was a smart writer in the fact that he planted all these seeds of stuff that would not pay off for years. And it was back when the comics still did that editorial stuff, like, you know, see issue 179 or of the Uncanny X-Men, mm. which was the original series. And that just dr draws you in because these, even though, even in these first three issues, which weren't really the first three issues, of course, which I'm sure you guys know that the X-Men started in the 60s, even those first three issues, you could tell that they had a backstory. You know, they were already a team. And I, and I got to admit, that's one of the things that I absolutely love about the, the Marvel universe currently in the, in the movie forms, how they've, how they've inter, how they've interlinked all of it. Um, and they leave little nuggets here and there in all the movies about the other movies and stuff like that. Yeah. And it's really weird that they do that in the movies, which is absolutely awesome, but they don't do it so much in the comics. Even if you go back just five, 10 years. You see some of the comics, and you see, you'll see that little editorial box that says, go read Defenders 4 if you want to see this. But now, I'm not sure why they don't do it, when even now it's easier to do it, because they have digital comics that you can buy them at any time. I will find myself going through Wikipedia, you know, wormholes of looking up the first appearance of a certain character. And it's it's pretty cool when you find out, oh, this character that they just introduced and in, you know, let's just say this movie... His first appearance was in number 151 of the Uncanny X-Men, written in 1983. Or, you know, just and he was just a bit piece who actually ended up being popular that they yeah. gave his own yep. comic to or something. 
Yeah, and it's great. And like, honestly, when I very first started hearing about podcasts, one of the things I thought about doing was going back since I had every issue of X-Men because of that, you know, from one all the way till they got rid of the series and rebooted it. Which I'm not, it was past issue 300, I believe. Oh, wow. Um, I had, I have all of them still in a box, taking up a whole lot of space in the exact room that I'm sitting in right now. <laughs> and, you know, by the way, despite me saying that it was going to be worth something earlier, uh, it's not. So those comics not. will not be sold to put my child through college unless something changes drastically. Alas. You should but, have bought Beanie Babies instead. There well, you should have bought Beanie Babies instead. But I do have to say that being the uh, focal point for so many of these important moments in your life, it kind of sounds like Walmart is your Shangri-La, dude. <laughs> it's amazing how much I've been to Walmart in the past for how much I hate it now. It was honestly just because I could actually reach it via bicycle from my house back in the day. So. I I still love that it's open 24 hours. And if I'm up at three o'clock in the morning with nothing to do, because I used to work the night shift. So when I was up at three o'clock in the morning with nothing to do, I could always just hop in my car, drive down to Walmart, walk around. If you ever need to see a so. disenchanted stripper at three in the morning, buying go to Walmart. Yeah, go, yeah you, you'll pretty much find them. You'll see some interesting things at that time of night. <laughs> yes, you will. I'm going to leave the floor to Jimmy, where he's going to learn me something new. So for my last influential piece, I'm going to talk about a book that maybe a lot of you haven't heard of. I think it's a masterpiece. Uh, it was published in 1988. It was written by Richard Knack for the Dragonlance universe. The book is called The Legend of Huma, and it is volume one of the Heroes series, which takes place within the Dragonlance universe. Um, if you guys aren't aware, Dragonlance was spawned from uh, two writers who came together for their, their love of Dungeons & Dragons, and there have actually been a lot of campaigns written under the Dragonlance banner for Dungeons & Dragons. Um, the story follows the character of Huma, who is a, a knight of the crown and he is separated from his regiment and happens upon a group of goblins who are holding captive a minotaur named Kaz, who's the subject of the second hero's book written in that series. And Kaz and Huma go on to uh, meet up with, you know, different characters, uh, you know, there's, it, it was really my introduction to the, the literary world of magic and fantasy, you know, to kind of go back to what you were talking about, Rob, this was my mm -hmm. opening to that world. A lot of people discovered or were introduced to Tolkien, um, Lord of the Rings before, you know, you know, early on that kind of sparked it for them. Um, I tried to read the Hobbit. Uh, several times before you know the movies came out I read those and then I finally read The Hobbit but the Dragonlance series you know there there are a lot of books it it became a thing for me to try and read uh, between my my childhood friend Sean and I to try and read every single Dragonlance book and it was almost kind of like a competition but you know you've got like I said uh, magic you've got dragons minotaurs uh, all these fantastical creatures and the you know this book was for me the 
the first real page turner. I mean, I could not put it down. I would look forward every day to getting out of school, coming home, laying down on my living room floor, putting on my headphones, listening to the album Homework by Daft Punk instead of actually doing my homework. And I would read these Dragonlance books. At least that inoculated you from someone being like, hey, are you doing your homework? You could have just said, yeah. Uh, yeah, I'm listening to it. Exactly. But, you know, the book's out of print. You can find it on eBay for like 15 cents. Um, I need to do, I need to read it again. Uh, but, you know. I, if, I have to tell you. Yes. Um, it sounds like a book that's totally up my alley. You should check um, it out. I just downloaded it on Audible. It's on Audible. I'm I'm gonna have to get that. It is on Audible. I just downloaded it. Oh, awesome! And, and I'm totally gonna listen to it, and I'll let you know what I think. Please do. I feel like this podcast has um, we've each revealed something completely nerdy about ourselves to the point of where we can no longer make fun of each other without immediately realizing how hypocritical we're being. <laughs> <laughs> Which no. means this this exercise is ruining me a little. Well, because being able to make fun of you two is one of my inspirational. No, not really. Oh, I thought you just meant that you don't exercise, you know, whatever. I do actually exercise, <laughs> but I reserve, I reserve that exercising thing for uh, for putting on Facebook, telling everyone when I go. To Rob, exercise. <laughs> yeah, because if you don't post it on Facebook, it never happened. Exactly, uh, exactly. Rob, once you listen to it, let me know what you think. Um, Absolutely. That's how they're listening. I know it's it's more of an obscure title, so, you know, if you read it, let me know what you think. Shoot us a line at givemefivepodcast at gmail.com. Let me know your thoughts. Awesome. So you guys, I've just introduced you, um, you listeners out there, to me as being Greg. But other people might know me as backer number uh, 31,358. Oh, here we go with that again. Yeah. <laughs> 31,000? So, you were a little late to the party, weren't you? I was a little late to the party. Um, I'm always a little late to the party on Kickstarter, but in this case, I am referring to the Mystery Science Theater Kickstarter, but also the original show. So this Excellent. is my most inspirational thing, and I had a – there was a lot, and I felt that everything else was really, for the most part, kind of deep and led career-wise. This one is more sense of humor-based. And that's and, totally you, by the way. Yes. <laughs> Absolutely. I can attest to that. Sort of cheesy. Uh, almost dirty. I, sort of? Really cheesy. I think really actually cheesy. I think actually that's all of us. But go yeah. ahead. So here's the deal. Mystery Science Theater, a friend of mine introduced me to it back when it was just starting on Comedy Central. He was telling me, he's like, have you seen this show with the robots? And he explained it to me. And he's like, they make fun of, of bad movies. At the time, some of you guys will probably remember this if you're about our ages. On USA Network, they would play terrible movies late at night on USA Up All up Night. Up All Night. Up All Night. Yep. And every single one of us, I guarantee, stayed up late at night because there was inevitably a girls in bikinis car wash scene or girls in bikinis being chased by monsters through a bowling alley or something scene. Oh, yeah. The worst movies you will ever see. And I loved every second of them, not just because of the girls in bikinis, but just how ridiculous they were. Very similar, uh, not 
I guess I'll say similar to Evil Dead 2, but Evil Dead 2 kind of knew what they were doing. I'm not entirely sure. These other ones did. The other ones yeah. meant to be campy. They just were. So then I see Mystery Science Theater, and no show has felt like home to me like this show. I would ta- you know, record them on tape, and if the fans of the show will remember, they always had a little thing at the end of it that said circulate the tapes, meaning put it on VHS, give it to your friends. It was on, started off on a local TV channel where it was kind of finding its footing, and then got picked up by Comedy Central, which was... This was the um, pre... I forget what made Comedy Central huge back then. I pre It was pre-South Park Comedy Central. I or was something say, else. I think, it, I think it was probably South Park that really catapulted them, but... Yeah, there was something around that era that uh, South Park did not hurt. No. But I'll say South Park. So it was before that, but it was on this channel, and then it, it lasted there for uh, from like 1989 to uh, about 1996. Moved over to the Sci-Fi Channel, 1997 to 1999. I, I lugged these tapes around with me from house to house to house, apartment to apartment. Finally, at the end of my – when I moved out of my last house, I was – it was at the end of a very long, long move. It was about 1 in the morning, and I finally was like, I don't even have a VHS player. I'm just going to get rid of all these tapes. And I didn't necessarily forget about MST3K, but I didn't have access to it. Then I started, and then I found out that there was websites that have it. It's available on YouTube. It's available via you can purchase them online. And if the uh, the research department would look up where you can purchase those, I would feel free. I would love to to talk about that. But anyway, so the the show itself, it's a bunch of guys watching old movies. They're working on it, and yeah, they're they're diligent down there. They're gonna, he's going to rush in at any time, interrupting me. And, you know, it's, the, it's a guy who is being picked on by his mad scientist bosses. He's made to watch terrible movies in order to try to drive him nuts. Instead of driving him nuts, he decides to build these robots and just mock the movies incessantly. It is done with love. I, it's not mean-hearted. They love these movies. If it was something where they were making fun of the people behind the movies, as an artist myself, I would not gravitate towards that but they even make their own show with this same campiness and b style that the movies are made in so anyway uh long story short absolutely fell in love with the show would watch the turkey day marathons where they played it straight through every turkey day it went away it came back and it really led me towards the path of i enjoy smart comedy i mean i enjoy fart jokes too don't get me wrong oh fart jokes are awesome Smart comedy that that involves references that you have to really understand classic literature, classic movies, you know, black and white movies, old music, anything like that is right up my alley. And Mystery Science Theater. It's just in from the Give Me Five newsroom. Full episodes of Mystery Science Theater 3000 are available on YouTube. And if you were to purchase them... (laughs) I don't know. <laughs> perhaps. The newsroom fails. Perhaps we should talk to our research department. I will put that in the show notes, which are available on Facebook. I will, and also I will say that, wherever you download the podcast. 
I will say the two of the earlier shows that probably helped Comedy Central were Upright Citizens Brigade and um, the Win Ben Stein's Money, if you remember that. Uh-oh. Now, just real, real quick, you were talking about um, USA's Up All Night, and I came across a, a list, or I'm sorry, Research came across a list. They were they were busy. <laughs> they were dual tasked. Um, and it, just some of the quick <laughs> some of the quick titles. I I had to mute myself because I was laughing so hard. Um, some of the, the titles were A Nymphoid Barbarian and Dinosaur Hell. <laughs> uh, we've got Chopper Chicks and Zombie Town. Nice. And my, my favorite, it's it's probably in my top five, it's Cannibal Women in the Avocado Jungle of Death. <laughs> nice. Instant classics. Instant, Instant classics. classics. I feel like the Gimme Five podcast needs to do a special episode someday where we watch those movies. Yes. And review them. So stay tuned, guys. Stay tuned for that. And now that the um the the research department has finished looking at USA network things, um first of all, they're not paid nearly as well as they should be. Um which it is, is shoutfactory.com. Which is the why shop. they came with incomplete information. Yeah, they did a terrible job. To be chastised. Yeah, what was that about? I don't know. So, shoutfactory.com, you can buy all of them. You can also watch them on various streaming devices where they actually get money for it. So, do it. It's worth it. And then, of course, honestly, I was really stupid in not mentioning this earlier. I mentioned the Kickstarter. It ended up becoming, at the time, I don't know if it still is, the largest Kickstarter ever. It made um, $5,764,000 and change wow to bring it back and the the show came back with with pretty big name hosts Patton oswald um felicia day um it's great different comedy still similar comedy style but a little different uh it's been updated and it one thing it looks really weird in high def because of the fact you're watching old movies but in high def um still good it's available on netflix uh season one was was place they're all at the same time i'm pretty sure there'll be a season two i'm not sure if they've said anything about it yet but check it out watch it rate it and uh you too can be as entertained there's hundreds of episodes so you can be entertained for a very long time i'm done rambling on now because that was my fifth inspiration well i guess i'm left i'll run in with with my last one and probably one of the bigger ones um and and also of note, um, the Give Me Five podcast is based out of Orlando, so you will probably hear a lot of references to what I'm going to talk about next at various points throughout our podcast life, um, as my fifth one is Disney. Um, so you'll probably hear us cover some of the park stuff. You'll probably hear us cover some of the other things, everything related to Disney at some point or another. Um but Disney in and of itself, um, more specifically the movies, um, had a huge impact on my childhood, um, like they do with, I think, most kids in America and even throughout the world anymore. Um, and I, I, can't, I can't tell you what it is about Disney, but it's the, that Disney magic is still alive. Um, it waned a little bit. In my in my early twenties, um, and I will admit I am a fan of the Universal Parks more, but that might have something to do with the crowds. <laughs> Universal just isn't as crowded as Disney. 
Um, but there's still that Disney magic that happens um, when you go to the park. I agree. The, 100%. the nostalgia, the nostalgia of the rides, um, just just everything about it. They um, definitely do it right. And I, I also, it was a very long time before I could, even though I was living in Orlando, I didn't go to the parks for a very long time. And when I met my now wife, when we started dating, she had asked me, like, do you go to the Disney parks? And, well, no, it never really occurred to me to go to the Disney parks. I live here. I'm not, I'll go eventually. And then we started going there on dates, and then we got married, and we got passes, and now we have a kid. And Disney is pretty much, you know, almost a weekend-type thing, at least when it's not 400 degrees out. Yeah. And and my my girlfriend actually works for Disney. Um, she works at one of the at one of the resorts. Um, but it's and, and I didn't get my annual pass until until um, until we started dating. And it was it's it's just something that we enjoy doing together. Um, and and she's even more of a nut than I. That's am. the last time I want to talk. I want you to talk about the things you enjoy doing together. Yeah. <laughs> and. Um, she she's even more of a nut than I am. I mean, she'll have, <laughs> and she's super talkative and super friendly. And we'll run into somebody in line, and and Greg, I know you've seen this happen. We'll run into somebody in line, and she'll tell them all about something because she also used to work for Universal as well. And she'll she'll talk all about the park and all of the neat stuff and everything here and there and there, and have like their entire vacation planned out for them by the time they get out of line. Yeah, she's absolutely wonderful. Um... But I definitely wouldn't want her to have any sort of security clearance. Yeah, because she's she's very open and forthcoming about everything, about all the information. Yeah, but it's and there's 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 just so much at all the parks, and it's only getting bigger and it's only getting better. And I know that at at some future point we'll probably go over some of the plans that Disney that Disney has just recently released for those who don't know D23 just happened and they released a crap load of information. The next couple of years so, are really good for Orlando residents. Really really going to be a great couple of years for anyone interested in Disney in Orlando. So, let's uh close this thing out here. This uh now you guys know a little bit about us. We actually probably learned a little bit about each other. Probably too much. Definitely too much. Definitely. But nonetheless, so here's the deal. We want to know about you guys. We want to know what you guys like, what you think about various movies and books and video games. We are not approaching this particular podcast as experts, although all of us have worked on the outskirts of the entertainment industry in one form or or another. You know, I started off in radio working for a rock radio station and a top 40 radio station. I also worked at Blockbuster like Rob, mm-hmm. um, as well as working for various newspapers and, of course, doing 3D. Rob, you had mentioned you worked at, at Blockbuster, and, and there's a lot of – back then there was a lot of entertainment perks. Um, Jimmy, I believe you had some stuff as well. I was an assistant manager at GameStop. So there you go. You know, the, Definitely filling in the video game knowledge that I do not have. You were a stripper. I, I was a stripper. <laughs> Vanilla latte, I believe it was. Yes. As I said before, this is the, the podcast where we introduce ourselves to you. The other ones are going to be a little shorter. We're going to pick five topics, some of which we've already mentioned this evening. We'll discuss them. 
chat about them a little bit, give our opinions, be irreverent, do all that fun stuff. Jimmy, Rob, you got anything? If there's anything that you guys would like us to discuss, please, like I said, hit us up. You can you can find us at all the locations I mentioned before. We'd love to hear from you guys. Stick around. It'll be fun. Anyway, so where was I? <laughs> Son of a bitch. <laughs> Vanilla latte. <laughs> 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 <laughs>